basically the difference between the renewable and the not renewable or fossil fuels that you sometimes hear about is that those other sources, the non-renewable sources are coming from things that were digging up out of the ground usually, or gases were forcing out of the ground and there is a limited supply of those and we cannot make more of them or it would take way more energy to make more of them then it would be, you know, makes it not worthwhile to do it. So for the most part, those are, are resources that are in the process of running out and will run out at some point. So the more we can do to move away from those and go to renewables, it's certainly better from a greenhouse gas emissions reduction perspective, but it's also important too, because at some point they won't be, those other sources won't be around anymore and we need to make that transition. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of 2023 of Green Dragon, a monthly show where we talk about green initiatives in the state and county and ongoing sustainability efforts at Howard Community College. Also ideas and ways for you to be more sustainable at home. I'm Bob Marietta, HCC's Environmental Health and Safety Supervisor, and I thank you for being with me today. The start of the new year usually fills us with energy to improve things we wish we could be better at. And this 2023, I'd like to invite you to include in your resolutions, being more environmentally conscious and taking steps towards a healthier and more sustainable life. And to talk about efforts this county is doing to be more energy efficient and things you can implement at home and at work, I've invited Howard County Government Energy Manager, Leah Miller a sustainability and environmental expert with 20 years of experience as a community volunteer and a Howard County resident for over 10 years. So Leo, what was it that brought you to Howard County? Well, I moved to Howard County about 10 years ago, and I would say what brought me here was actually the parks and landscapes. When we were looking at houses, my house is actually uh, fronts the Little Patuxent River, and we were taking a little walk by the park there, and I started crying, and my husband said, I guess this is the house, and it had nothing to do with the house. <laughs> and I was working in Montgomery County at the time and had a, a pretty lengthy commute, and so when an opportunity came to work for Howard County Government in the Office of Community Sustainability, I jumped at the chance and um, loved the fact that I can work right here in my own community and see the results of the work every day all around me. So I love that. It really is an amazing place to live. So could you tell us a little bit about what your responsibilities are as the Howard County Government Energy Manager? Yes, absolutely. So I work on both energy and climate related policy, helping to make policies for the county that are sustainable and environmentally friendly. And we also work on things like our climate action plan, which we're in the process of updating now. And in addition to the policy work, we also do a lot of work across all the different departments of the county and also with different partners outside of the county. We do a lot of these partnerships in order to tackle really challenging projects Sometimes those are projects that are on county property. Sometimes they're off county property. But uh, for me, being the energy manager, a lot of what I focus on is ways to save energy 
reduce the amount of fuel use, energy use in our buildings and operations, and also going renewable, and then working with our businesses and our residents to help them to do the same. Wonderful. So taking a really big, big picture here, what's the whole point of saving energy? Yes, that's a good question. So I'd say there are two main reasons for saving energy. One is, of course, you pay for all of that. So whether that is your gasoline driving around or your electricity in your home or at work, your heating. So all of those things cost money. And so when you are able to save and cut down on your energy use, you also are saving money, which is great. And of course, the other big thing is that you are then contributing less greenhouse gas emissions, which of course is a a huge issue. And by contributing less greenhouse gas emissions through our energy use, we can help to um, mitigate the impacts of climate change, slow some of that down and start to adjust to new kind of lifestyles we might need to adjust to as the climate changes and as we work to reduce those impacts for ourselves and for future generations. Wonderful. So what can our listeners do to save energy and money for energy at home and at work? Right. Well, at work, unless you are a facilities manager, in which case we'd have a whole different list of things that you could do. Um, Generally, most people at work, the thing that you have the most control over would be turning off the lights when you leave a room if you have regular light switches. And for me, even when you have automated lights, if there is also a way to manually turn the lights off, I usually do that as well, because sometimes the automated lights take a while before they realize, oh, someone's not here anymore, and they turn off on their own. So that's one big thing. And then the other big thing would be plug loads. So anything that you plug into a an outlet in the wall, so turning off your computer monitor, unplugging any chargers, turning off printers or coffee makers or all of those types of things probably the, are probably the best things you could do at work. Um, at home, you have a lot more options. You can adjust the temperature in your home. You can change the type of appliances that you use. You can add insulation or weather stripping to keep the heat or the cool in when you're conditioning your home. So lots of different options. And I think the plug loads there are kind of interesting at home are interesting too, because I think a lot of people don't realize that even when you turn something off, it still may be using energy, especially if it's something with a clock or a light or something that has a standby power like our televisions usually do. So um, by plugging those things into a power strip and turning off the strip, that's one way that you can make sure that you're not still using energy even after you turn things off. Okay. One big mystery. What do thermostats do? What do they do? Well, thermostats are a way that you can control the temperature. So they basically give an indication. Usually a thermostat will measure what the temperature is in the space, and then they are connected to your heating or cooling system. And depending on what level you say you want the temperature to be and what level your temperature is, it'll either kick on the heating or the cooling or not. So that's basically what they do. Okay. Maybe it's not as mysterious as people think. (laughs) So what then are smart thermostats? And, And can they really save energy and money? Sure. Yeah. Smart thermostats are a great way to do that. Basically with a smart thermostat, 
it is programmable. So you can select different times of day to have different temperatures. So we have one at, at my house. And one of the things that we do with it is we set it to be a little bit cooler in the winter, a little bit warmer in the summer, especially when we know no one's in the house. So when my daughter's at school, my husband and I are at work, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to be making sure the house is incredibly comfortable for people to be here because we're not here. So, And that also helps with a, another issue is that energy use tends to go up and down during the day, depending on what people are doing. And so especially on really hot days, there's a time in kind of the late afternoon when some people are already home, other people are still at work, and that's when energy use tends to be the highest in the entire year because people are air conditioning and those spaces at work and at home are all being air conditioned and people start, you know, they've just gotten home, so they start turning on all their appliances and, and doing their chores and things like that, and that could put some, in addition to using a lot of energy, it also puts strain on the whole power generation system and, you know, can, uh, and also requires that our power generators make sure that even if we use a much smaller amount of energy as a, as a whole, as a community, other times of the year, they need to make sure they can generate enough on that hottest day of the year when we're all using everything, <laughs> all of our power that's available, that they also are generating enough all the time to be able to meet that need or they at least have it on standby, which is a lot of resources going into generating energy even when we don't need it. But yeah, smart thermostats, I think that's what we were talking about, is a way that you can program the temperature. And there are also some ways that working with your utility, you might be able to, using a smart thermostat and working with your electric utility, sign up for a program with them that when there are some of those really hot days, really high energy demand days, that you might give them permission to change the temperature in your house just a little bit, not enough to make you uncomfortable, but a little bit so that they can ease off on the power usage of the whole community and make sure that we don't get brownouts or blackouts because everybody's using their power at once. They oh, give sorry, you some money savings money when you do that, right? That's right. Yes. So what's this business about Energy Star appliances? What are they? Right. So Energy Star is something that the U.S. government has put together, and it's a rating system for appliances. So it rates appliances 0 to 100, with 100 being the best, at saving energy. So it's a way to just quickly help you to compare when you're shopping for appliances to see which ones are Energy Star certified. They'll have a sticker on them or a label on them that says Energy Star, and they usually also will show you where they fall in that zero to hundred scale. So if an appliance isn't even labeled Energy Star, it's usually the least efficient. You want to try to avoid those. And then with the Energy Star certified, you can compare between them how efficient they are. And again, that's also a super easy way to save money. We, we, don't, we aren't saying that you need to rush out and buy all new appliances because not everyone can do that. And it's not necessarily a good use of resources either because it might create waste from your old appliances. But if you are replacing something, replacing it with the most energy efficient and water efficient appliances that you can is a super easy way to save energy because you can do the same exact things you were doing, washing your dishes, cooking, refrigerating your food, all of those things. But those appliances are designed to use less energy than you were using before doing the same tasks. So 
What's different about the heating and cooling systems in most of our homes compared to the places where we work? Well, I feel like you could actually answer this question <laughs> since I know you work on facilities at Howard Community <laughs> College. But I think you know the, the main difference is that a, a home system is going to be smaller, of course, and so it's going to be more simple and a little bit easier to maintain and to make changes to. I don't directly manage facilities, but I do work with some of our facilities managers. And so I know a little bit about this, but not a ton. But from what I understand, with a larger building, you may have multiple boilers or multiple chillers. You may have just a lot of different systems and fans and and various things that pump the air uh, into the various parts of the building. And because you have so much equipment and it's so big and it's such a complicated system, a lot of things can go wrong with that and can get out of whack. So there are some programs that, um, again, our utilities actually help businesses with and and cover some of the costs of this. And, and this is something that Howard County government is doing in some of our buildings. It's It has a really complicated sounding name, retro commissioning, but it's basically just tuning up the building's heating and cooling systems. And so it involves kind of going around and, and looking at all of those fans and those motors and the chillers and the thermostats and making sure that each of those pieces is working properly and you know making some adjustments to the way those things work together and are program together in order to keep people in the building comfortable while being as energy efficient as possible. But it is a lot more complex and it takes training to be able to run all of that. And I always give a shout out to everyone who works in large building uh, facilities maintenance because it's one of those hidden things that you know people don't really think about unless they feel hot or cold and then they want to complain. Um, and otherwise, you know, usually a, a lot of times people will uh, companies, organizations, Howard County government has uh, done this as well, tend to skimp a bit on the maintenance of buildings because it's not as exciting as building something new. It's not as visible, but there's so much in the maintenance, both at home and in large buildings that can improve energy efficiency, save the life of your equipment, and just cause people to be more comfortable. So just to bring it back to at home, you know, one simple thing that relates to this is changing your filters. So your heating system, your cooling system have air filters that you really should be changing at least once every three months. But if you can do it more frequently than that, it's great because the filters aren't, are not expensive. They're easy to change out. And the cleaner your filters are, the easier it is for your heating and cooling system to work. So they don't have to, it doesn't have to work as hard to heat or cool. And you're also, your air is going to be healthier because you're not blowing so much dust around. And if you have clogged, dirty filters, it puts a lot of stress on your system and could cause it to break. And we definitely don't want that. So what temperature do you recommend people set their thermostats to at home and, and at work? What temperature do you recommend we try for? <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, I would say... I feel a little out of my element recommending this because I just haven't thought about it recently, but I would say typically in winter time, you wouldn't want to go above 70 if you could do 68 or, you know, even a degree or two lower than that. If you're comfortable with that, that's certainly good for energy savings. I'm, I'm thinking about at home now. And it's also, you know, a lot of people find it 
more comfortable to sleep when the temperature is a little bit cooler. Even if you're getting under blankets, it's been studies have shown that it's actually healthier to do that. And then also, I would say in summertime, you know, going a little bit, a little bit warmer, of course. So if you can do 78 or 80, that's energy efficient as well. But, you know, certainly different people have different tolerances for temperatures and different health concerns and, and that type of thing. So, you know, I would certainly recommend do what feels right for you. But if you can try, you know, changing it by a degree or two and see what happens with your electric bill and um, or your natural gas bill and see how you are feeling, that's always a good idea. What does saving water have to do with saving electricity or saving energy? That's a good connection to make. No, it's not different. I mean, it is a little bit different because it's also water, but there are two ways that saving water also saves energy or, you know, maybe electricity, maybe uh, something else, depending on your heating source. So a lot of times when you're using water, you're also heating it up. So if you're washing dishes or taking a shower, uh, washing your hands, lots of these things that we do, we also are heating up that water first before using it, which takes a lot of energy to do. And then also there are, depending on on your source of water, if you're on well water, you generally have a pump that has to pump that water out of the ground into your house. And that of course is taking energy. And in the community side of things, even if you are on city water and the water is coming into your house through water pressure and not a motor in your home, there is a lot of work that goes into the water treatment and the water pumping. And that's actually using a lot of electricity on that community level. So that's one of the biggest electricity users in the county is our water reclamation plant that treats the water after it's been used in our homes and goes down the drains. So lots of connections between energy and water. And and one of the things that we also recommend to people is if you can try to shorten up your showers, if you can turn the water off, when you're shampooing and those kind of things, um, those can all be really helpful. We actually don't even realize a lot of times how much water we're using when we do something like showering. And if, you know, limiting your shower time or um, turning off water is not possible or, you know, not a sacrifice you're willing to make, <laughs> then there's also another kind of easy way to reduce water use, which is using a high efficiency shower head, which basically aerates the water coming out. So you feel the same pressure, but you're using less water. And you can do that with your shower heads, with your sink faucets. And um, there also are devices that you can use in in toilets as well, or just when you get a new one, using one that doesn't use as much water. What makes energy renewable? Right. So um, renewable energy would be energy that gets its source from a renewable resource, and that would include things like solar power, getting the energy from the sun, which is always there, even on cloudy days, (laughs) and wind energy, which it depends a little bit on your location about how much wind um, you get on a regular basis. So there are definitely some places in the country and, and in the world that get more wind on a regular basis and are really good for wind energy. Those are the the two that are considered the most eco-friendly that don't have as big a footprint on things. There are some other renewable sources that people debate about their environmental friendliness. 
like hydropower using water and biogas, which is getting gas from waste products, organic waste and, and things like that. But yeah, I mean, basically the difference between the renewable and the not renewable or fossil fuels that you sometimes hear about is that those other sources, the non-renewable sources are coming from things that we're digging up out of the ground usually, or gases we're forcing out of the ground. And there is a limited supply of those and we cannot make more of them, or it would take way more energy to make more of them then it would be, you know, makes it not worthwhile to do it. So for the most part, those are, are resources that are in the process of running out and will run out at some point. So the more we can do to move away from those and go to renewables, it's certainly better from a greenhouse gas emissions reduction perspective, but it's also important too, because at some point they won't be, those other sources won't be around anymore. And we need to make that transition so lots of us are talking about solar power now and getting solar panels. What options do people have to get solar panels on their homes? Sure. Yeah, there are a couple of different options for that. If you own your own home and you have a roof that does get sun, especially if it has southern sun exposure, um, that's probably the ideal situation. And you have some different options where you can outright buy the system and pay to have it installed. And then when you use that electricity, you don't pay anything for that electricity, but that does require a lot of upfront investment. Some people reduce that price by buying through a solar co-op. And we do have a solar co-op here in Howard County. And that basically involves a nonprofit organization or the co-op itself that's different companies, finds a company that they're comfortable with, and then negotiates a lower price from that company for installing panels for people who join the co-op. So that's a, another option. There are also a lot of companies that are happy to install the panels on your roof and they would own the panels and they maintain the panels. And then you pay that company for your electricity and you usually do save some money off of what you would have been paying to the utility. So that's a good option for a lot of people who don't have that upfront money to invest. And there are also options to lease the panels from a company so you don't own them outright. And it, again, reduces the, the cost. But thankfully, there also are options, even if you don't own your own home, if you're renting, you're in an apartment, or say you own your home, but you have a shaded roof or you don't have a good southern exposure on your roof and it doesn't make a lot of sense to put solar panels there, you also can join into community solar project where solar is, a larger solar project is built somewhere else in the utility region. So say for BGE, if that's your utility, anywhere where people get their power from BGE, this project could be located and you pay that company for your power. And usually for community solar, you buy into it ahead of time. So you sign a contract. It might be you know, a short-term contract, but you sign a contract saying that you will buy the power. And that usually helps the company to be able to build a solar project in the first place, but it allows you to get the benefits of having a reduced price for your power. Great. So what do we mean when we talk about electrification? Yeah. So electrification basically means switching over. It's usually sources of heating, um, sometimes cooking, anything that's using either natural gas, heating oil, or any sort of fossil fuels that are 
burning on site. So when you have a natural gas boiler, it's burning the natural gas right there in your home. The smoke and emissions are coming out right there at your home or your, your business. So electrification is a movement to try to reduce that and move all of our appliances, heating, cooking, or as much of it as possible to electric sources so that it's electricity providing that source rather than burning fossil fuels on site. And a lot of the, the reason behind that is that the utility grid as a whole is getting cleaner, especially here in Maryland. We have some regulations about how much uh, power needs to be generated from renewables, and that's going up and up. We used to get a lot of our electricity power generated from natural gas and coal, and that's going down quite a bit in percentages. So um, the idea is you know, that that would be an easier transition to make. And a lot of these boilers and other things that use natural gas that are not electric, they may have a lifespan of 20 years, 30 years. So trying to make those changes now as people are replacing their equipment is a really good thing for setting us up for the future and reducing greenhouse gas emissions, especially because Natural gas, for example, is, is a very powerful, it, it creates a lot of greenhouse gas emissions. It creates 80 times the emissions. The gas methane creates 80 times the emissions of carbon, so or carbon dioxide. So it's a pretty powerful one. And if we can reduce the use of that, that would be fantastic. Are there health reasons that we should consider switching? Oh, yes. Thank you for pointing that out. There, there are, because um, when you're burning fossil fuels in your home, there are health risks because you basically end up having air pollution particles in your home, even when you don't see them or you don't smell them, they are there. Studies have shown that it actually can be extremely unhealthy to have those fossil fuels burning in your home. Even lighting candles, those things can be, <laughs> can, uh, can lead to some uh, air pollution in your house as well. Leah, I know you had a lot to do with the county's recent solar power projects, and you even helped the college get our project started. What can you tell us about the progress of those, and what else are the county is looking for in the future? What sort of renewable energy projects can we look forward to? Right. Yeah, so we do have this great power purchase agreement. It's very large. We're planning to be getting at least 50% of our power from solar for county government operations. And uh, those projects are about halfway done now. So that's that's really great. We've got projects on rooftops, over parking lots, in fields. So that's fantastic. And uh, still working hard on that project. So certainly always looking for additional opportunities to support solar. And even if it's not going toward county operations to just support more solar projects in the community by um, helping with tax relief and other things that helps to make those projects more viable. Well, we've reached the end of our show. Thank you, Leah, for joining me and for all the work you are doing to make our county energy efficient. I'll be back next month with another guest and a sustainable topic. In the meantime, if you have ideas or comments, you can connect with me at rmarietta at howardcc.edu. You can listen to this and all of our other episodes at dragondigitalradio.podbeam.com. You can also catch us on HCCTV and Howard Community College's YouTube page. Don't forget to share, like, comment, and let others know to join us and help us take care of our world because every small step we take 
can have a great impact. Thank you for joining me today. Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Radio.